0: Let me invite you, you can turn to John chapter 15. Uh, I'll read it in just a moment, thank you so much. I'll read it in just a moment and um, invite you to go there with me. Um, This Tuesday, my wife Ann and I will celebrate our 30th wedding anniversary. Um, Yeah, thank you. It's, um, I mean, it's an extraordinary thing. I mean, I was excited on the day that I got married. Um, It's an extraordinary thing when someone Uh, when you get to the place where you say, look, I I love this person and I want to spend the rest of my life with her. Um, And and it's even a more extraordinary thing when they say, I love him and I want to spend the rest of my life with him too. Uh, What 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 an incredible gift that is. Um, Being married for many years, um, it changes you. Um, you, you grow, you mature. I was reading someone this week who was describing uh, the marriage of uh, of his grandparents. They were married 70 years, 70 years before they passed on. And, and he wrote this. Um, they were deeply in love. After so many decades together, they could finish each other's sentences. She could probably tell you verbatim all of his many stories, and boy, was he a storyteller. Grandpa could no doubt tell by the tone of grandma's voice or the tilt of her head what she was about to say to him as well. They felt each other's joys and pains, successes and failures. They always turned to one another, included the other. It would be foreign for one of them to make a plan that didn't include the other. They had lived life together for so long that they truly became one. Now here's the reality. I don't know if you've thought about this before or not, but. Anne and I will be no more or less married uh, on the last day of our life together than we were on our wedding day 30 years ago. Um, On that wedding day, when the minister pronounced us to be husband and wife, we were fully and completely married. Um, Legally, we had become a new entity, a married couple, a family, uh, we, we shared a family name. All of our most significant possessions were no longer his and hers. They were now us and ours. We became one. And, and there's, a, there's a reason that the Bible uses the concept of marriage to help followers of Jesus understand what it means for us to be united with Christ. Uh, to, for the two to become one. One. And we've been asking some questions about this language over the past couple of Sundays. It started Easter Sunday when we opened up Acts chapter 2, and heard the Apostle Peter's sermon that Sunday, 50 days after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, 50 days after that first Easter. And we began by saying, well, what were the followers of Jesus talking about immediately after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? What were they talking about? It's recorded for us in Acts chapter 2, and, and, and then what were they inviting people into? What was the kind of response that, that they were expecting? Peter had said things like, um, God publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazareth uh, by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs. And he says, you all saw this. He's talking to the crowd at large that was present. Peter told that crowd, he said, you are actually responsible for, for Jesus' death. And, and God was working an extraordinary plan uh, throughout the, the annals of time that was being fulfilled in that moment. And that plan included raising Jesus back to life. And Peter pointed to the followers of Jesus who were there with him that day, and he said, look, we are all witnesses to his resurrection. Peter would have gone on to say, like, we've kind of got a, a summary of that sermon there. He, he preached for a long time, it tells us. He would have gone on, and he would have said things like, we saw him ourselves. We, we ate meals with him. We, you know, one of our members actually examined the wounds in his resurrected body. And then Peter made this statement. He says, now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand, and the Father, as he had promised, gave him, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to pour out upon us and the us that peter's referring to here are the disciples they're the followers of jesus and it kind of it prompts this next question that we began asking last sunday what is this thing that peter is inviting people into last sunday we began to explore that us question the the what is the church question peter was involved inviting this crowd to come and join the us And when Peter, when they heard what Peter said about Jesus, they cried out and they said, what are we to do? And Peter replied, he said, repent of your sin and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And so to understand the us, to understand the church, to better kind of get what is this Peter's describing We've gone back to the words of Jesus that he spoke just before his trial and execution. We've gone back to the words of Jesus, particularly those in John chapter 14 to 15. It's often referred to as Jesus' farewell address. What was Jesus describing as it relates to what Peter was describing on the other side of the cross? What does it mean to step out of the crowd? And to become a disciple of Jesus, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Uh, so, so, we've been asking: like, is it analogous to analogous to membership? Like, I take out a membership at Costco, um, or, or maybe it's maybe it's like family in the sense that we, a fraternity would describe themselves: we're brothers, we're sisters, you know, or, or a club would maybe say, you know, we're family together, or, or maybe it's it's kind of Believing objective facts Like 2 plus 2 equals 4 Or, or maybe it's believing subjective facts Like embracing a philosophy is that, is that what Jesus is talking about? Is that what Peter's talking about? And, and what we discover is that Jesus in his farewell address He's, he's calling us to a spiritual experience and We're going to have to work hard to understand this so We're going to have to think carefully It's a spiritual experience that is far more involved, far more invasive, and far more transforming than any of these ideas cannot possibly be on their own. John 15, Jesus described himself as this life-giving vine through which nourishment comes up to the branches, that's us, and then what results is a fruitfulness. And God he described, God the Father is described as a gardener who's pruning us as branches for even greater fruitfulness. Now this morning we're going to back up a few verses into John chapter 14. And this is still part of Jesus' farewell address to his disciples. And Jesus in John chapter 14 makes this extraordinary statement, verse 23. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home With them. Now, now in this COVID 19 crisis, you thought your home was already crowded, right? You know, he's going to come and make his home with us. Jesus is inviting you, he's inviting us to find our confidence, find our security in the midst of all that's going wrong in our world, find our confidence and our security from the fact that God is dwelling with you. John chapter 14, verse 15, I'm going to read from the New International Version. If you want to follow along, it's going to be on the screen as well. Uh, John chapter 14, starting at verse 15, down to verse 27. This is the word of the Lord. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching, my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching, These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, just help us understand this better. (laughs) Help us to live it more consistently as we understand it better and it begins to become fruitful in our lives. And we ask it in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So God the Father, God the Son are moving in. They're moving in. Jesus is describing this spiritual reality, kind of similar to the vine and the branches language that we reviewed last Sunday. Once again, Jesus is forcing us to think beyond the concrete terms that we're more comfortable with. He's inviting us to think with spiritual eyes, the spiritual eyes of our mind, to perceive that our confidence and our security come from the fact that God is dwelling with us. Verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Now, let me set the context, uh, remind you of the context again here. So Jesus and his disciples, they'd been in the upper room uh, the night of Jesus' betrayal. And they had shared the Passover meal together. Uh, Jesus reinterpreted the table. We're going to come, come to that Yet this morning, uh, to to recognize the bread representing his body given, the blood representing, uh, the cup rather, representing his blood poured out. And they shared this meal together, and Jesus had released Judas Iscariot to his treachery, uh, to his betrayal of Jesus, and then began what came to be known as Jesus' farewell discourse or, or farewell address. And Jesus began by saying, Look, he was going to be leaving them. Um, the wheels of his trial and his execution were now in full motion. It was not was not going to be very long now, and the disciples were confused. They were distressed. Uh, they were fearful. Maybe maybe you felt some of those emotions yourself. Some confusion, some distress, some fear, some uncertainty. Maybe you can take some encouragement. Uh, that there's a long history of confused followers of Jesus. Like, like there's a long history of us having moments where we don't understand. What is it that God's doing? And we're invited to take comfort in those moments. And here's the comfort that Jesus brought to his disciples in in that moment, and he offers this to you. What's the comfort that's being offered? Jesus says, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Now, I want to focus on that word advocate for a couple of minutes. The word advocate in the NIV comes from the Greek. The word is paraclete. Probably most of you know that the New Testament was originally written in Greek, mostly Greek, some Aramaic, mostly Greek. And the Greek word paraclete is particularly difficult to kind of summarize into one English word. Um, The English Standard Translation, ESV, uh, translates it helper. Uh, We just read NIV advocate and and then the word helper sort of added into the sentence to kind of round it out a little for us. The NIV 84 used the word counselor. Uh, the, The 1611 King James Version used the word comforter. Now, we hear the word comforter, and we think kind of big, fluffy blanket. Uh, but, but it didn't mean that in 1611. Now, certainly, Jesus wanted to bring comfort, as we think of the word, to his disciples who were in distress about the fact that they were leaving him. But that's not what the word really meant in 1611. In, in, in 1611, when the King James translators were translating you know, a paraclete, and they decided to use the word comforter, they were influenced by the Latin, which is forte, Forte, comforter, forte, okay? Uh, which means strong, powerful. Uh, it, it means firm, steadfast. It's got this idea of courageous, brave, and bold. So when they put, put the word comfort in there, or comforter in there, they, they, taught, they meant one who would strengthen and invigorate and embolden. That, that's the idea. So, so Jesus was promising that his departure would not be an unbearably, an unbearably grievous thing for them. Because the paraclete was coming, the helper was coming, the, the counselor was coming, and he would come bringing strength and boldness, and he would invigorate his church. Now, th- there's more to this word. Uh, the word paraclete is also advocate, and there's kind of a, a legal component to this word. He, he stands for us. Uh, he represents us. Uh, he, he communes the benefit of Jesus to us. He communicates the love of the Father to us. He communicates the forgiveness of the Son to us. Jesus, in verse 17, would describe him as the Spirit of truth. And so all these words begin to broaden our understanding. What is it that Jesus is promising here? What is it that Peter, in Acts chapter 2, was hearkening back to when he said, come join us? Us, who is the us? What is this promise that is there? Well, well, Jesus is promising God with us. Advocacy, help, counsel, comfort, encouragement. But note this. Jesus says the Father will give you another advocate, a second paraclete, like the first paraclete, helper, counselor, comforter. The implication is that Jesus was the first advocate, helper, counselor. Uh, What's being promised is another of the same kind to us. In fact, Jesus said this in verse 18. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, if this starts to get a little confusing, you you can be forgiven, Uh, but, but follow me here. Jesus says, I will come to you. And he begins to break down some of these barriers that we might put up between our understanding of the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, and the Son. And then Jesus kind of pushes us a little further, and he brings the Father into the mix of this conversation as well. He says in verse 20, on that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And we're like, what? Now, the scriptures differentiate. They use different terms to describe the the three members of the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're not to be confusing them or or, mm, applying what one does to the other. They have distinction. And yet, and yet. The scriptures refuse to allow us to separate them because there is a unity in the Godhead. There's a unity, one God expressed in three persons. And then then Jesus says, and I'm inviting you into this. Oh, and, and we will be in you. So, so we're, we're trying to get our minds around what is the us that we're that Peter was inviting us into Acts chapter two. He's saying, "Look, come, follow Jesus." In response to all that happened that first Easter weekend, come and 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 respond to his this teaching. Respond to the instructions of Jesus, and and, and we'll be forgiven to, if we like, huh? Like I'm. I'm And there's some effort involved. So so how can this be? How does God dwell in us? Verse 23. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. So so the holy counselors, the the holy fortress, the holy advocates, the, the holy helpers, the Holy Spirit are moving right in to make themselves at home more properly. He is moving in to make himself at home in you. The spirit of truth, the spirit of Jesus, God the Holy Spirit abides in the followers of Jesus. Are you beginning to get it? Like, Are you beginning to see what Jesus is inviting us into? Better understanding the us that Peter was describing in Acts chapter 2? And maybe, maybe if you were inclined to think of the church as, as merely membership, you can recognize that that's not nearly enough. Or, or, or maybe you were inclined to think of, of making a decision to follow Jesus, you know, choosing to follow praying the sinner's prayer as, as about adopting a belief system. But, but, but it's not nearly enough. I mean, family is maybe a little bit closer Like the intimacy, the oneness that a marriage is supposed to communicate and convey. The two become one, and over the years, they increasingly look like each other, sound like each other. There's this new identity that's clearly there at the start as they formed a new family, but it's increasingly there as their oneness is given expression. And that oneness, our oneness grows over time. The sentence finishing, the, the mind reading, the need anticipating, the thinking of the other before myself, this all grows over the years, or that's the design. Very much like a good long marriage, your experience of being found in Christ, of being united to Christ, is something that's going to grow over time. Christ has wed himself to you, to his church. And this is not just a declaration of to agree with it's an objective reality to live into you you see he is fully atoned for your sin remember peter peter's sermon brothers what do we do repent of your sin turn to god be baptized into christ jesus for the forgiveness of your sin he's not describing three steps and then you're in he's he's describing the same thing in three different ways Um, Repentance, turning to God Baptized into Christ Membership in the church Becoming part of the us Your sin is fully atoned for Through the work of Jesus And now he's with you He's assuring you uh, That he is there And now you have all the resources necessary To overcome anything that threatens to overwhelm you if we were to, to paraphrase uh, the great German scholar, pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Second World War, he, he said effectively, this is not an ideal to be achieved, but a reality to be embraced. Th- this is how the lifeblood of Jesus flows up through the vine and out through the branches, producing the fruitfulness that God desires. And, and this It's on the basis of this, that Jesus says, so don't fear. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And if you're at all like me, you say, then why do I end up being so fearful at times? Like, why do I end up in a place where my heart is genuinely distressed? Jesus said this, verse 26 the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Why do we continue to fear? Why does COVID-19 uh, strike fear, fear, maybe it's the economic implications of it that strikes fear in us or threatens us with fear. Oh my goodness, you can't watch much news without being overwhelmed by it. Ultimately, there's a very, very personal question that, that I have to answer in, in response to this question. Well, only, only I alone can know, only you alone can know the, the, what's going on in your heart And there have been times when I didn't really understand what was going on in my heart. All I could do was acknowledge, I'm being fearful right now. Why is that? What's going on? So so I'm recognizing that this is a very personal question. It's maybe the kind of question that with a pastor or with a counselor, you can work through. But, But here are at least four. Here's four possibilities that are worth exploring, reasons why I continue to fear. The first one would be, maybe you're not actually in Christ, Let me just ask it straight up, have you responded to what the Apostle Peter, back in Acts chapter 2, said we were to do in response to that Easter message? He said, repent of your sins, turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, you will never regret putting your faith and your trust in Jesus, Believing in Jesus, turning to Jesus, and beginning to follow Jesus. You'll never regret that. Jesus himself, however, described two groups of people. We read it earlier. Verse 23 and 24. 21, the apostle Judas, not Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot was gone by this point. But the other Judas, he says, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus said, well, There are those who keep my word, who hear it and they they bring it inside. They obey my teaching. They live out of my teaching. They respond to who I am. They accept that Jesus has has loved them and in response, they love Jesus in return. And there are those who do not. And so we must face the question, which are you? Now now there's another, and, and, and let me say, before we come to the Lord's table this morning, I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer that, that would, would invite you into that relationship with him. Maybe that's a, that prayer could be the first step for you. Maybe you're, you've been taking a bunch of steps, you've been kicking a bunch of tires, but, but really today's the day. that You've got to say, I'm, I'm going to respond. It, it, it would be appropriate to have fear and to be troubled if you have not taken that step, if you're not to be found in Christ. Here's another reason that, that I might fear. Maybe you're in Christ and you're walking with Jesus as best you can, but, but, but maybe you've been putting more stock in the concrete realities around us and not enough in the spiritual reality. Right? I mean, I mean we are, we're flesh and blood people. You know, it's, it's we, we like to deal with the stuff we see and touch, we, we struggle to see beyond those things sometimes. Jesus is inviting us to live in him. That's a spiritual reality that's entered by faith. And then I begin to see the world through the eyes of faith. Here's a third reason I may continue to fear. Maybe I'm forgetting the words of Jesus. Like maybe I've not spent enough time reading the words of Jesus. Maybe they've kind of gone in one ear and out the other and it's time to get more serious about kind of putting the words of Jesus into me. Uh, every, uh, every week, I invite you to memorize a passage of Scripture. Actually, on the bottom of your sermon notes, there's something there that says, consider memorizing. Do you know what? If, if, if you were to, maybe this is a good COVID challenge for you. If you were to memorize one passage every week, um, by the end of the year, you'd have memorized 52 passages. What's more, they wouldn't just be random passages. They would be passages that we have spent time on a Sunday morning unpacking. I'm trying to understand better. And now I'm beginning to put the words of Jesus into me in order that I would live out of those words in me. Maybe that's a suggestion. Maybe that's a little challenge that that you would take up in this season. One more suggestion for now. Why, Why do I continue to fear? Maybe it's because I'm living in disobedience to Jesus. Like I'm in Christ, but there are some areas of sin that need to be remediated. I need to, I need to do something about this. Uh, maybe you continue going to places that tear you down, places that weaken your moral resolve to live a moral and godly life. That might be a physical place, it might be a virtual place, it might be a people place, it might just be a place in your mind, uh, but, but it's, it's sin and you know it, and the Holy Spirit has started to bring some conviction of sin. That's a gift from God, friends. Scriptures tell us that his kindness leads us to repentance. God is patient in how he works. Mercifully, he does not confront me with all of my sin at once. It would would have utterly undone me. But a little at a time, he continues to refine me in order that increasingly Jesus would be seen living out of me. Oh, I thought that was Jesus for a minute. No, it was just Terry. Oh, more of that, Lord? Yes, Lord. And and this is his grace. It's his patience. He's working with you. And so when he brings conviction of sin, we need to repent. Uh, Colin did a lovely job of inviting us into that moment uh, a few minutes ago. And and then in response to to saying the words, we then begin to live out of that. We begin to do something different in response. This is grace. It's not something that we need to despair over. It's actually something that we can rejoice in. In fact, next next Sunday, we're going to look at the, the blessing of this relationship with God. One of those blessings is joy. But this morning we're going to come to the Lord's table. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and prepare to lead us. We come to the Lord's table because this table reminds us of all of this. It reminds us of the forgiveness of sin and the intimacy with the Father and union with Christ, the filling and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has made all of this possible through the cross. Jesus became my first comforter, my first helper and advocate and counselor, the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of truth has come to live with us, to make his dwelling in us, and we now make the choice not to fear, not to be troubled, and this table reminds us to find our confidence and our security in the fact that God is dwelling in us. He is with us, God is for us.